welcome to this week's episode of The Homeschool How-To. I'm Cheryl, and I invite you to join me on my quest to find out why are people homeschooling? How do you do it? How does it differ from region to region? And should I homeschool my kids? Stick with me as I interview homeschooling families across the country to unfold the answers to each of these questions week by week. Welcome. Joining me today is Jennifer from New Mexico. Jennifer, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Oh, it's a, a privilege for me to get to talk to all of you homeschooling families. It's it's so nice to hear everyone's different story and everyone's had such a different story. So it's it's helped me so much and uh, hopefully it's helping other people as well. Uh, I'm going to just ask you how many kids you have and what sort of got you into the homeschooling world. Sure. Um, I have three kids. My oldest, my son, is 11. He'll be 12 in December. Paige is my middle child. She is nine this month. And then we have the baby. She will be three in July. Oh, that's fun. So you have definitely like a vast um, age group there where it's not like you're teaching you know, one thing that would cover multiple children. It's you got your work cut out for you with the homeschool world, huh? <laughs> yeah, and the toddler definitely adds to uh, all of the challenges for sure, but it's going to get better. I know it, it. <laughs> definitely will. I'm sure. So what got you into the homeschooling? Did you always want to homeschool? Um, I, I remember early, early on when my son was going into school, really being intrigued by it. I actually spoke to some neighbors around here about, um, that had homeschooled and it was always very interesting to me. I just lacked, um, the confidence and my husband wasn't really supportive at the time, you know, the typical reasons. And, um, so I kind of put it to bed and yeah, sent him off to uh, kindergarten and first grade at a public school. Um, we've been home. This will be our third year. So we've just been homeschooling, um, for that amount of time. But, uh, yeah, so he was in kindergarten. Um, he was being a full day kindergarten. He was being sent home with homework and, like right off the bat, it was tears. He hated oh it. God. He was learning to hate school from the beginning. And my daughter, um, being two years behind him, we put her in a four-year-old kindergarten at a private school through one of the churches. And she loved it. She was having a blast. So when she got into kindergarten, normal fifth grade kindergarten, we just kept her in there. And um, it. I pulled my son out of first, or I didn't enroll him in second grade. I put him in to the private school at that point. So he would have been in second grade at private school. And um, so, yeah, we they were going to private school. Let's see, my son was, so they were going to private school and then COVID happened. Um, luckily we, so that was in March of 2020. He, uh, or the school shut down for the first three months, you know, when everything was shut down. But when the public schools around here were not able to reopen, they were actually able to go back to school. So they only missed three months of school. Um, but when they went back, they had to wear masks. At first, they were saying they could mask only when they're like in common areas. They wouldn't have to mask at their desk or they could choose to wear a face shield. But what ended up happening is it turned into all the time outside. And I don't from the time I don't know a lot, but New Mexico's it's hot there, right? Yes. So if you're like outside with a mask on as a child, especially running around, oh my god. Yeah, you know. So my kids were hearing a lot of the pushback about that stuff at home, and then they were. My son, he was a little rule breaker. You know, he'd like pull it down under his chin, so he's constantly getting in trouble at school for not wearing his mask properly. And so we gave him face shields to wear. And then that rule went away. They wouldn't even let them do the face shields. But I mean, yeah, they were out at preschool or uh, recess and they had to wear their masks. Unreal. So we did that for a year, you know, reluctantly making them wear it. I was going to send them back the next year, but then we got an email saying that they were going to continue to mask the next year. So it wasn't my only reason. I, you know, I had a lot of reasons for wanting to homeschool, but I think that was kind of the push that got my husband to say, Sure, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So 2020, yeah, they were out of school. They might have gone back the fall of that year, masked the entire year. But then 2022 to 2023, there were no masks, even in New York. Yeah, so it would have been fall of 21 oh, okay. that okay, yeah. they went back still had to wear masks. Okay. Uh, New Mexico was definitely um, not as strict as New York, but we had a, there's a lot of um, reservation land 
in our area and the reservation um, just lifted their mask ordinances maybe six months ago. So like they weren't wearing them the whole time? No, I mean, they were wearing them the whole time up until six months ago. On reservations? Yeah. Wow. If I, I mean, again, mm-hmm. this is me being ignorant. I would think that like the like Native American reservation, you would think they'd be like, uh, no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're like more natural. Well, and Wow. Yeah, they were they were the opposite extreme of that. They were like, um, in fact, you know, a lot of the uh, Native American population, when you go to the stores today, they're still the ones that are wearing masks. So they I, I do think that they had, um, for whatever reason, they were hit the hardest from it. Really? And so they but I mean, like, if you went into their town as an outsider, they were enforcing them up until just a few months ago. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to learn about like, the logic behind that and the psychology there or why why COVID would have hit um, a Native American harder than, you know, you just think like more natural remedies, natural way to live um, and not listening to government, you know, would be kind of what they're right. after. So that's interesting. So your uh, middle child, she went to school and loved it. How did she like being home? Um, so, yeah, the transition to homeschool um... – it was, well, I'll back up a little bit. So when we got shut down for COVID, we had to do the homeschool thing. And I was pregnant with my my third child then. Um, and it was a lot, the curriculum they were using. So we were doing school at home at that point, you know, trying to get them to check all the boxes. And, you know, it was hard. I mean, it was taking them a long time, but it's because, you know, the, part of the adjustment period is they have to learn that mom's the teacher now. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, once we got kind of the ball rolling the following year, my daughter, uh, she liked it a lot at first. And then there was a little pushback. My daughter missed her friends. She wanted the social social aspect. And we have a cousin, a family cousin that comes over and, um, you know, she's talking to her about how much she loves school and how popular she is and all of this. So there was a lot of, um, you know, she's kind of feeling like she was missing out some. But so we had to have, you know, some serious talks about it. Like this is bigger than just social hour. Like, why do we go to school? You know, the picture is bigger than that. So we've come to terms with it. She's doing really good. Yeah. Every now and then she still says, I miss my friends. So it's taken some work on my part. You know, we stay in touch with some of her really good friends from school and we'll have play dates and stuff like that. But with families, everybody's so busy all the time. It's really hard to get, get them together consistently. Yeah. Right. And then your oldest, he transitioned. Okay. Yeah. He's liked it. Um, you know, one thing I've enjoyed about homeschooling is uh, identifying their struggles. And one of his big struggles is handwriting. I mean, hardly legible handwriting. So we were able to take a huge step backwards and really kind of refine because in his school, they were making him write paragraphs, basically. And I mean, it was taking him like 30 minutes to an hour if we were lucky to get this done. So it's like, okay, I'm not, you know, we're making him do the work, but we're able to take a step back and practice the skills that we need more work on. So how do you even do that without making it so boring that they just want to gouge their eyes out? You know, like to say, okay, your handwriting needs work. Do you go back to like this, like tracing letters? And at that point, he's a little older. So how do you do it to where they don't hate it? Well, I think, uh, so when we took that step back, we did actually go back to basically a, a kindergarten, first grade curriculum. And it's like, you know, you've learned a lot of bad habits with your handwriting. And that was part of the reason I could see that he was, you know, struggling with it. So it's like, well, let's go back and learn it the right way. No, I mean, there's definitely things in homeschool that no matter which way you do it, it's never super fun. You know, I've heard a lot of uh, homeschooling podcasts, and I feel like some people have been able to figure it out, but we're still working on that. So (laughs) yeah, there's got to be some and I, I do try to ask that to, you know, when it comes up in the conversation, like, okay, everything can't be made fun and some things you just have to learn I hate writing too at like physically writing with my hand I'm like I just go too fast and it's it's miserable but I wonder if it is how I was taught or if that's just how I am and you know but yeah, I was thinking even for my son starting kindergarten this year, because he, he kind of, he graduated from preschool and he went to an actual preschool and 
he got in trouble because they were like, you have to start listening. You you kids are going to kindergarten. And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm going to be homeschooled. But um, so I said, <laughs> and I'm going to have you write an apology letter to her. So I wrote it and then he wrote like underneath me. But I was like, well, this is kind of a cool way for them to learn writing. I know it's probably not the most efficient because you're not writing the same letter over and over and over, but you're putting writing in context of like why you need to write it. So not necessarily always an apology letter, but to say like, let's get a pen pal, let's write your cousin, let's write your grandma, let's write, you know, um, somebody from another country and ask them some questions. And like, I write it and he writes over me just to like kind of put why we're doing this in context so that they might want to. And then in turn, he's getting a letter back and reading. But I'm like, in theory, that's great. And if I can buy all the stamps, like whatever they cost these days, that would be great. Um, I wonder if it would actually work, if you would like retain any of it or right. if like somebody that knows a little bit more like like the phonics way it would be like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. I've dabbled with that too. Cause like my son's the kind of kid I've always talked to my kids as they're adults, you know? And so they kind of talk to back, they don't talk back to me, but we'll have conversations and it's like, you're talking to a little adult. So he'll ask, well, why do I even need to know this stuff? He's like, you know, everything's on a computer now we type emails and all of that. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, but at some point in time, whether it's by design or not, they're trying to get it to where people can't write anymore. You know, uh, there's things that are valued by that. So I've done the same. I've had them write. Uh, we've had pen pals before and we actually had some pen pals in uh, Uganda and they were writing letters and we weren't mailing them snail mail because it was like $35 for a letter, but we were taking a photograph of it and I was sending it to the guy that orchestrated it. But yeah, you know, it's just a uh, kind of helping them understand the real life gravity of why we're doing this. And it still doesn't become fun, but maybe they push back a little less. And your son's really young, so you got plenty of time to help him learn to not hate writing. My daughter, on the other hand, she's there over and over and perfects it and makes it look as pretty as she can. And we got her a calligraphy book and, but she's the artistic one. So part of homeschooling too, is I think uh, letting go of some of the things that you want as a parent and like letting the child, you know, blossom in their own way the best you can. You know, I tell the kids, they still have to do some of the nitty gritty. Yeah. That is the beauty of it. Because in a classroom, when you have 30 kids and one teacher, you can't. Right. I mean, it's it's would be very hard, but, you know, you can't say, okay, well, let's, let, let's work on calligraphy. They're not going to do that in school. That would be up to the parent, right. but then you'd have to realize that's what she's into and she might not think to say that or know that calligraphy is even a thing you know you saw you witnessed her doing this and so that kind of brought that out that's that's really cool that is a nice part about homeschooling so you said mentioned something earlier and it's so common that the mom wants to get the kids into homeschooling and the dad has the pushback and I, I hear that more often and more often now that I'm out there you know looking into it and it is funny. I, I wonder why that is. I assume it's the socialization slash sports sort of, or like you don't want your kid to be weird. Like the man doesn't want their kid to be weird. Yeah, no, I definitely think that was, Do you think that's all it that is? That was definitely his stigma. And, you know, it was a little bit of mine too, because the few homeschool kids I remember growing up, they were all a little socially different, but at that phase of my life, social aspects of my life meant a lot too. So these kids may have just been different and- my kids might be different too, but I don't know. I, I knew some homeschool kids too that were the bad end of homeschooling where they just didn't do anything. They stayed home. So I told myself if I do it, you know, I mean, I feel like what was most important to me on the social aspect is as my kids got older, I could see a lot of the bad influences, you know, like if you have a, a moral ground at home, when you release them into a classroom, you know, you're mixing all kinds of moralities together. And so they can pick up on bad behaviors. And, you know, I, I was already recognizing that so early on kindergarten level, you know, and it was, uh, it made me uncomfortable because what's really important to me is to protect my kids' innocence as long as I can. Um, they're only innocent and they're only children for such a short period of their life. They can grow up later, you know. So that's been a, a huge motivating factor. And as we've been in homeschooling, my husband, uh, I think, doesn't have the same concerns about the socialization. He's become more comfortable with it. And in fact, when I have those moments where I think I'm failing them and everything's going bad, he's actually the, the steady 
rock. And he's like, no, you're doing great. I'm super happy with the way things are going. Oh. So, you know, he was the reluctant one, but he's been a huge um, supporter along the way. So, yeah. And how, did, does he help with like picking out any of the curriculum? I'll bounce ideas off of him, but he just stares at me with a blank stare. Like, uh, yeah, this is, this is up to you. <laughs> he's pretty much said it's, uh, whatever I want to do is fine, but I'll talk to him about ideas and he'll give me kind of his take on things, but it's a whole rabbit hole, the whole curriculum thing. I, when I jumped in feet first, yeah. I started doing research via YouTube videos and I had no idea that the curriculum choices were so vast and it's been yeah. a huge headache of mine actually, you know, trying to figure out which route to go, you know? So that's, I think some of the biggest growth that I've had is just realizing that um, there's no perfect curriculum. I was listening to a podcast and one of the moms or one of the ladies on the podcast was saying, uh, you know, don't let your curriculum be your slave. Yeah. You know, it's a tool and you use it to yeah. help you. So that's, that's been kind of freeing to kind of take that into account. It is hard, especially as they're younger, because, you know, I um, saw on Instagram, someone posted yesterday, like that kids don't even need to start learning until they're seven. You know, you can just play. But then at the same time, when we take on that role of like, no, we're keeping our kids home for kindergarten. We're keeping them home for first grade. You know, I guess you would be about first, second grade by the time you're seven. So seeing like a, like a family member or a friend, seeing your homeschooled kindergartner, comparing it to their child that goes to school and being like, oh, they don't know how to read or they don't know how to write yet. You know, they just play all day. It looks like, oh, mom's not doing anything. So we as homeschoolers feel like, well, I need to teach them now, like at four, five, six years old, because I don't want people to think I'm failing them. I don't want them to be behind. But, you know, we also want them to play. So I've, I've realized like that is a very fine line. And because the days are long, um, you know, they go by quick, but we have to get things done too. So as a homeschooling mom, you have to get the dishes done. You have to vacuum. You have to get laundry done. You have to grocery shop. You got to cook dinner. You got to get their lunches and breakfast ready. So there's other things we're doing. So it's not like we can just be like, play all day. You know, at some point, yeah. sometimes a screen comes on or, you know, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, that yeah, that stuff's always, um, finding that balance was another huge struggle for me particularly in the beginning. So I work three days a week right now. My mom lives with my husband and I. She's lived with us for 10 years now. After my dad passed away, we had her move in and my son was only two years old at the time. So it was a huge benefit both ways because she had um, some support, but then we had support for childcare and getting him to and from preschool. And then, so we're fortunate enough that my husband works an incredible amount of hours. I work three days a week, but we have somebody there to take them whenever I'm at work. The first year I was like, okay, my mom didn't ask to homeschool the kids. What we'll do is I will homeschool them Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then they will get three days off when I'm at work. Well, that quickly led to burnout. Mm. Like, I mean, just where things were just not happening kind of burnout. Like you're just, you feel like you're drowning in water and nobody's throwing you a, a life preserver. We just got done reading The Tuttle Twins and The Fate of the Future, book number nine in the Tuttle Twins series for ages five through 11. What I love about these books is how it relates back to real life every time. The Fate of the Future has a fun story centered around the book The Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard. And even though it's a kid's book, I'm learning right along with my kids. The story in Fate of the Future centers around the importance of competition among businesses and how detrimental monopolies can be. We even related it back to our recent vacation to Maine and how we went out for ice cream to three different places. And because we had options, the ice cream parlors had to compete for our business by either lowering their prices or increasing their quality. Every time I read a Tuttle Twins book to my kids, it sparks the best conversations. And I always end up feeling like, wow, I didn't realize my son could actually grasp concepts like that. If you didn't catch my interview with Tuttle Twins author Connor Boyack in episode 24, you definitely want to go back and check that out. And if you'd like to get the Tuttle Twins books for yourself or someone else, please go to my link so they know I sent you the homeschoolhowto.com slash Tuttle and use code Cheryl40 to get 40% off ages 5 through 11 series plus more. You can use the link and code in my show's description. So 
That first year, we had to take kind of a step back, change things up a little bit, and I really felt like I was failing them. So I had a conversation with my mom, and she's supportive of the homeschooling thing too. She just, uh, you know, being a grandma, she never really asked to be a homeschooling mom. So she uh, basically, she'll enforce what I asked them to do. So the second year we went in, I'm like, okay, we're homeschooling all of the days. And we actually get a weekend together as a family because I felt that was pretty important. So then we found a better balance where they were doing homeschool when I was at work. And then I would just kind of check them. Things definitely got a lot easier at that point. Uh, But one thing I've really picked up on, you know, now that my toddler is going to be three soon, is I remember when my kids would go to preschool and I was just so impressed what they were learning at preschool or what I thought was at preschool. My now three-year-old has never set foot inside of a preschool and she's learning all of the same (laughs) things. And honestly, I haven't done any homeschool with her. They just learn by osmosis. They like absorb it all, you know, so she's counting, she's uh, identifying some letters. But one thing I've always done is I've just talked to my kids like they're adults. I explain them things in their context, but yeah, I just never baby talked them. They're very capable. And as I've had three kids now, it's just been, you know, very surprising to me, like how capable they are at such a young age. So one thing I've been doing with the uh, house chores and trying to keep it all balanced, and I'm fortunate that my son is now 11, but I just put a lot more responsibility on them. And so they're helping. It's frustrating at times because I often have to kind of go back and double check what they're doing. But um, yeah, I mean, they're incredibly capable. Even my toddler is helping with some of the chores and it's all fun to her right now. So I'm not having to, you know, pull teeth to make her do it. But the other kids are just becoming a whole lot more capable. So it's almost getting easier as time goes on. Yeah, I think moms in general, whether you work or not, it's we feel like if we take some of the burden off of us and put it on the husband or the children that we're not like upholding our end of the bargain or something or we're being lazy but really it helps everyone wants to feel included and it might not be done the way that you would do it or the way that you want it but it's getting done and it it really I think it's good for the kids to partake in stuff like that and it does often take longer sometimes and you have to go back and and do it like cooking like cooking with a kid I mean yeah, it takes so much longer. It's like, I just want to get that around on the table. But then once they like grasp some of the concepts of like, okay, this is how we prepare this, they can take that part off your plate too. And yeah, there's so much to learn at home without even like opening a curriculum. Delegating responsibilities has been something that I've really struggled with. So one thing that, you know, personal growth for myself, I've changed a lot. I've always been that kind of person. It's like, well, I'd rather just do it myself and ask for help. Me too. So now it's, It's, you know, not that somebody is deliberately sitting there not helping. It's just like they don't know if you don't ask. So I've had to, you know, swallow my own pride and be like, hey, I need help. Yeah. Can you help me? Yeah. So, yep. Swallow your pride. And and you don't even have to. I mean, nobody else looks at it that way. That's ourselves looking at it that way. Especially if, like, I've always worked full time. So if, you know, I do leave and you know, stay at home, that kind of puts more on where I feel like, okay, well, then I also have to get, you know, every dinner on the table. And like, I have to be okay with saying, no, I need you to even if you're not going to cook, pick up something on the way home. Yeah, we have to take that pressure off of ourselves. So what sort of curriculum did you start with or try that you do or don't like? Um, So when I went down that rabbit hole, what I really fell in love with was kind of the Charlotte Mason philosophy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of it Mm -hmm. by now. And I still really love it. Just one thing that I found is that it's very parent involved particularly in the beginning years. So we backed off some of that, you know, not completely. And next year, what I'm hoping to do is kind of a mishmash, you know, Charlotte Mason for like history. I'm probably going to do like teaching textbooks for math. I've always personally loved math, but it takes a lot of involvement to be able to teach it, grade it, answer questions. So that's, that curriculum takes a lot of that off your plate. And it's on the computer, so I feel like my son would love it because anything technology, he's all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we found a pretty cool science curriculum with actually some, it's a video based. So they watch a video lesson with a teacher on there, but it's kind of, you know, interactive with like real life pictures of volcanoes and whatnot. And so it kind of brings science to life. So do you remember the name of that one? uh, Language art, Science Shepherd. Oh, okay. It's, uh, yeah, and so that one's been fun. I'll put a link um, to that in the show. But yeah, notes. I think I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna do uh, probably language arts will be more in the Charlotte Mason area because I do think it's very important that kids 
read well because if you can read, you can learn anything. So I've come to terms that I can't teach my kids everything. And But if they can read and if they enjoy reading, they can learn anything. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big emphasis for me is because I was never a strong reader. I've read more books in the last two years than I've read probably all of my public school education. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's been fun. I've actually, I've really enjoyed it because, you know, we're reading a lot of the the classic literatures, you know, the books that have stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. So it's all these, you know, amazing stories that I've never read. Yeah. I, so I get to be a kid all over again. I'm with you on that because if I read one full book, my entire public school career, I'd be impressed with myself because, and it was like, okay, you learn what you have to read, like the first page of the chapter, the last page of the chapter. And then the teacher always talked about it in class. And if she called on you, you could give a general enough answer. And, you know, if you take the test and don't do well, oh, can I do extra credit? And, you know, you just find ways to work around, which I think is kind of maybe what they were trying to teach you in the first place. Like just find little workarounds for life. (laughs) You know, I was a very good test taker. I mean, I was a a good student. But, uh, you know, looking back, it's like, I mean, I just I learned how to skim through things. And I learned how to use common sense to take tests. Mm -hmm. But was it a a true education? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) Right. I say to my son all the time now, I'm like, I can't wait to learn this stuff. Like, I don't know. There's so much I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, it's been a lot of fun as the parent, you know, I probably enjoy it more than they do half the time. And, uh, but I guess that's good. You know, if they can see the enjoyment in the parents, then it's makes it all the more fun. My biggest pet peeve with homeschooling is, uh, when, when they're not engaged and paying attention, I feel like I'm wasting my time. Yeah. So I, you know, we don't have a long drawn out day. It's like, if they, if we all just put our minds to it, we can, we can bang this out. We can go do other things, you know, all the, all the perks to homeschooling. So they're, they're coming to grips with that. You know, this, uh, last year we shifted gears a little bit and I went to more of a workbook style. So they, uh, my son learned, he's like, they would wake up as soon as they could, like six 30 in the morning, they'd sit down, they would bang out all of their stuff. And they're like, we're done. It's like eight 30 in the morning. And I'm wow. like, okay, this isn't what I wanted either. You yeah. Know, they're just these workbooks. Some of them, it's just like, you read a paragraph and you regurgitate the information. It's like, that's not what I wanted either. So that's why I like the, you know, the literature based because you get to actually like absorb the knowledge, I guess. Yeah. And it is hard because until you purchase a curriculum and try it, you don't know what and that was kind of the part of why I started the podcast. I'm like, well, I don't, there's so many curriculums out there now, you know, the good and the beautiful and the Abeka. And there's, you know, I had a lady on that does a program called My Homeschool Village and they kind of selected things and you buy a membership and a lot of that is on the computer or a laptop. So it's like all these different ways or like getting right out there in nature. And, but like a lot of that is a ton of pre-work on the parent to prepare and, Then you talk to people that have little co-ops or parents trade off on different subjects and all that. So it's like there are so many ways. It's just trying to see what does work for every child in the family and the parent. It's a lot. I can understand how it's overwhelming and it probably changes year to year with what works for your family and what doesn't. Absolutely. I think it's all kind of yeah, what works for you and just realizing your family dynamic and also your philosophy of education too. You know, that's, I've had to uh, deprogram myself. A lot of what I was wanting my kids to do is because I wanted something on paper that I could show, look, we're doing all of the steps. We're checking all of those boxes. There's that book out there. I think it's a school can wait. That's probably what you're talking about for kids not having to school till seven Okay. or something along the, there's all kinds of people that talk about that. But um, this one lady that was talking about that book, she also said, sometimes the best homeschooling families are the poor ones. You know, they don't have a bunch of money to throw at stuff. Mm -hmm. So they grab a library card and they read, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's their, that's their schooling. So I've really tried to think about that because I've probably wasted a ton of money with all the curriculum choices out there. And then they didn't end up working, but you know, you've already spent that money. And uh, so this next year, I really hope that I can take a step back, do it a little simpler and be more present in the moment with my kids and you know not stressing about the little things it's the long game you know and the relationship you're building with your kids and you know I don't I don't want any of that to suffer because of my curriculum choice oh yeah that makes so much sense and I'm thinking about someone had given me a link to it's called read aloud revival have you ever heard of that I don't know if I have and so like with the library card which I think like 
during this whole homeschool process was when I actually went and got a library card. And (laughs) it's so cool now because with, you know, technology and all that, I can request a book from an app. I think it's like Upper Hudson Move Must Live because we're up up by the Hudson River, Um, Upper Hudson Library Network or whatever. And so I'll request a book. My library will go to one of the other ones, send them something saying, hey, Cheryl wants this book. They'll ship it over. And when all my books are there, they send me an email and say, okay, you can come pick up your books. I'm like, that's amazing. So Read Aloud Revival, she um, puts the books that she'd recommend. And right the one I went to, it's by season. So I just did a springtime one. And we were sitting outside the other day with our library books and reading all about like seeds and how, you know, they would grow and the really cool stories. A, A few of them were about actual people. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. One was about, I want to say like Anna Comstock. I hope I'm, Susan Comstock. Comstock. I think Anna Comstock. It's a real person and how she, you know who I'm talking about? Uh-huh. You nodded. What is it Anna or Susan? I think it's Anna. Okay, now, I, now I'm not going to know, no, but I, I think- know which I'm Anna Comstock and like how she was about into nature. Oh, no, yeah. And she was like drawing. She has like a whole nature book that she created. But oh, yeah. Nature study. It's like a book like this big. Yes. And it has (laughs) all different sections. It's like 900 Uh pages. You can buy them just per section in color, too. But I think the big 900 page one is like black and white, but all about nature. And I I feel like that's something I'd need because I'm from like the city of upstate New York. And um, yeah, she goes into all different things um, like animals and insects and space. And she's a real person, did all that, drew things. Um, You know, people used her drawings and many different um, books of theirs. And then she, I think she went into schools too to say like, why aren't you teaching nature in schools? And so they used some of her stuff. So then this children's book was written about her. So it's not a book written by her, but it's a book, a children's book written about her. So that was cool because I learned about a book that we might want to use now um, for homeschooling, but then also I got to learn about her. So uh, that was really cool. So the the link was Read Aloud Revival, and um, she has books that you can get from the library for different seasons and probably all different stuff. That's I just happened to like browse quickly wrote down the books, went on the app, requested all of them, and just went through them all the other day and was very impressed that there's so much out there. Definitely. And uh, with that book, I actually, it's on my bookshelf. We have it because um, we were following Ambleside online. That was the uh, Charlotte Mason inspired curriculum we're using. So it's free. You just buy the books or rent them from the library. And then they have a suggested, you know, schedule that you go through. Um, But in the early years for science, it's almost solely based out of that book. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you, do you like the book? Is it like easy to understand? Um, yeah, no, it was a really cool book. And it, I mean, it's more than just animals and plants. It's uh, rocks and all kinds of things. And on Ambleside, they have a revolving schedule that they suggest you follow. So like, it'll be like rocks, uh, igneous, sedimentary, all of the different rocks. And then um, the next one, it would be some other sort of earth science. But no, it was good. I mean, it kind of, kind of read a little, I think over the kid's head a little bit, but mm-hmm. part of the Charlotte Mason philosophy is that you know, you're not dumbing down the context of the books because kids are more capable than we think of picking up things. And I kind of look at their glazed over looks when I'm reading it, but I think some of a lot of it stuck in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it was funny yesterday, we were coming back from a party and my husband said, oh, look, there's a coyote sitting in a, a parking lot. Like Uh so, I don't know, no, you're in New Mexico, so maybe that's common there. But in like upstate New York, it was a little weird that they wouldn't be like in, like we hear them at night in the woods, but they're not usually sitting in parking lots. So I was like, turn around, I haven't even seen one. I don't even know what this looks like. So we turned around and the coyote, you know, ran away when the car pulled up. But as we pulled away, I saw a deer hiding there in the woods. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, and he was like, well, they're probably surrounding it. And I'm like, how do you even know this stuff? Like, where do you, we didn't learn that in school. How do you know coyotes surround the deer and like the whole, this whole circle of life and like survival thing. And who do you, so I tried to talk to my son about like, well, who do you feel bad for? Do you feel bad for the deer? Because he might get eaten. But then again, would you feel bad for the coyote if they starve to death? And, you know, having these conversations of this whole like survival of the fittest kind of thing. And, and then I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then us, I don't know, 
know about the rest of the world, but us Americans are spending our time in front of the, you know, TikTok and video games and like all this is right outside our windows. Like it's so crazy. Yeah. I know my son wanted a virtual reality and I'm like, what do you mean you want virtual reality? I said, life is a big enough trip. Just get outside and like watch things because nothing's, you know, actually being in reality is much better. So that's another thing we're working on is getting rid of some of the, you know, being outside more. I'm thinking about doing this a thousand hours outside. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's nothing you join, you just track your hours and stuff. How good something to hold me accountable to make sure my kids are getting outside and, you know, even in the winter, because it is hot here in the summer, but it's also a long, cold, windy winter. Mm. And Mm-hmm. February comes around, it's cabin fever. It's like, man, we got to get outside. And um, we live on three acres. We got animals and stuff. So I'm outside, but the kids are inside on their video games. And it's just bugging me more and more the older they get. So I'm really trying to detox them off of the technology a little bit. Yeah. And it is hard because it's like by the time you get them all, all the gear on, like for here, we have snow, you know, in the winter. So it's like, get the snow suits on and the gloves and the boots and the hats and the scarves. And the, it's like to get them all out there. You're out there for like a half an hour and everyone's freezing. Okay, let's go back in and take it all off. Put it in the dryer. Yeah, it's a chore for sure on those snowy days. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually um, do you guys get snow? Um, you don't get snow, right? We do. Um, usually it's melted by noon is the joke. And so we just have constant mud all year, but, um, we're really close to the Colorado border. So just an hour North of here is the Colorado Rockies. So ski resorts and all that kind of stuff, you know, we're in the high desert and then, you know, just an hour away is, um, national forest. That's cool. No, in my head, um, New Mexico is like way South. (laughs) Right. Like we barely even speak English, right? Yeah, you're in Mexico, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe that's why I just associated. I'm like Mexico, hot. Yeah, it must be hot in New Mexico too. Uh, that's so funny. We're about far as far in New Mexico as you can get before getting to Colorado. Okay. All right. Oh, that must be beautiful. It is. I mean, I didn't appreciate it as a kid, but I definitely, I really like it now. Yeah, I uh, we're on some acreage too, and so I'm like, okay, we. Might need to like get some animal, like cow. We got the chickens, but I don't even know if that counts. Um, Like a cow and try to like learn how to take care of it and, you know, at one point butcher it. And, but I, it, that's my like long term goal. <laughs> well, I, we moved <laughs> to out here. A cow. Yeah, we moved out here 10 years ago with the hopes that I wanted to do my own little homestead project. And I quickly learned that it's hard to do homesteading when you have a full time job. So, mm-hmm. But we got the chickens and I do, we do meat rabbits. I met somebody that does that. So do you actually eat them? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. What does it taste like? Um, It's similar to chicken with a different texture. Like what do you make with it? You make like rabbit tacos? Yeah, basically any, any chicken recipe you can replace with rabbit. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I um a friend from my high school, she just moved to the area that I'm in now too. And it's funny because she was like valid Victorian in our really big like city school. And I always just thought of myself as like the dumb one. Okay, have you checked out episode 21 with Lindsay, creator of Treehouse Schoolhouse? I asked Lindsay on the show because I fell in love with her Instagram page. She is like the homeschool family I strive to be. Lindsay was homeschooling even before she had kids, homeschooling as a nanny right out of college. Over the years, she has developed super creative ways to help kids learn that can be fun for the whole family. From products like her morning time and daily rhythm and her nature studies to alphabet cards, her rooted family Bible curriculum, which is coming out soon, and a connect. Christmas, which is right around the corner, hint, hint. And what is a connected Christmas, you ask? Well, it's an invitation to gather your family and celebrate beauty and delight through festive carols, stories, poetry, art, baking, and handcrafts. It's about family, and it's about connecting hearts to the heart of Christmas. From preschool to middle school, there are variations and activities for all ages to celebrate together. Let them know I sent you by using the link treehouseschoolhouse.com slash the homeschool how-to podcast, and you can get 10% off all products. You can use the link in my show's description. And so she moves out here and I think she had found me on a homeschool group and was like, oh, hey, 
hey, we're very like-minded. And I was like, really? Was like That kind of scares me because you were the smart one. And like when I went down the conspiracy theory <laughs> rabbit hole and people was like, oh my God, Cheryl really went off the deep end. She's nuts. She's crazy. She wants to like have a homestead and raise all the animals that they eat here, homeschool the kids. But she's doing that too, our valid Victorian. And I'm like, oh, crap. It was all fun and games when I thought I was the crazy one. But now that I'm like, if smart people are really doing this too, we're in for something. <laughs> we got to get prepared. Well, right. It's interesting because, uh, you know, in so New Mexico as a whole is a blue state. Our little corner up here in the Northwest is very red. It's a lot of oil filled and that sort of stuff. So the back and forth. And it's just funny because like I talked to my friends down here here and you know we have the conspiracy mindset as well if you will everybody's got a little bit of prepper blood in them down here but then you go to Durango and mm-hmm. everybody thinks you're psycho they're like huh yeah you know so it's a it's an interesting dynamic living in both worlds for sure yeah and that's kind of part of the reason why I have no desire to even go back to work like it gives me anxiety because it is so basically should just have like you know arrows over my cubicle like this one here she's a conservative <laughs> when I started when I posted like little things on Facebook here and there, people would secretly message me and be like, hey, I agree with you, but don't say anything at work. I'm like, what? And I'm to the point now where I'm like, I don't trust any government. I I think they're all bought and paid for at like a higher level. They're just kind of the pawns in it. But even if our market like never crashes, even if our dollar never collapses, why would it not be in our best interest to make sure that our kids know how to prepare their own food, hunt, butcher an animal, preserve the animal, find heat, find water. Like how in just like one generation that kind of all got lost. I feel like our grandparents knew that. And in one generation, they got the women to work. And all of a sudden, like, we don't know, we, you know, can barely wipe our own butts anymore. So It's like, how did it go so drastically? So it's like, we have to get back to that because even if there's no conspiracy going on in the world, how do you, you have to be able to take care of yourself. You cannot depend on someone else to put food on a grocery store shelf or anything. You have to, you don't know what could happen. This was COVID. Okay, we'll say like a tsunami came through or something and wiped everything out. You have to know this stuff and that shouldn't be considered crazy. But the fact that it is tells you there's a big, there's a design to this all they're taking it out on purpose for sure and that was my main motivator you know 10 years ago to do the homestead thing is because I'm like it just hit me one day I was watching a documentary or something and it's like everything on this meat rack at the store used to have a face you know we've just dissociated that this animal was an animal before you know we eat them or whatever and then I've like I've I was a city girl pretty much like I never grew anything never raised an animal I just had this itch and desire that I wanted to know some of this so part of the the rabbit operation that we have going is um you know it's teaches me me and the kids how to raise our own meat you appreciate every life that you butcher um, but then also the the pelts the furs we're trying to preserve those to where we could make things wow. out of them you know use the whole animal ears and the feet are dog treats so we keep you know, the organ meats for dogs and that sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, every, you know, past generations, not any, not a single thing went to waste. And even do you do like a bone broth or, or is that the dogs too? I give it to the dogs um, also. We do a raw diet as well for our dog. I would love to do that. I just, uh, the, the cost. So actually my sister-in-law who lives around the block from me, she started raising rabbits too, because she does exclusively raw for her dogs. And that's her main motivator for doing the rabbits is because she wants to, she can't, it's so expensive to do raw. See, I don't... She wants to. The way to. I do it, it's not. And maybe I'm doing it wrong, but like my dog's still alive. It's been almost two years. So <laughs> I, um, and I made an Instagram post about this a while ago about you know, me cutting it up. But what I do is um, from a local farm, they will, these like 40 pound packages, one is organ meat. Um, we have pig heart and cow liver or vice versa and because you need a liver and then another organ and then the other one they do meat scraps 
So it's like $35 for the box. So you're t- I, 83 cents a pound is what he gives me for both of them. So 83 cents a pound. And then um, I'll go from, we have something called a restaurant depot where you can just buy bulk and I'll get chicken legs and you got to cut them just right. So they're not sharp. Uh, but the chicken leg I'll cut into two. And so the one half is his breakfast. And then the, and that, that's with the bone in it. And then I do the two organs with some beef scraps and a little bit of vegetable and fruit and seed and turmeric and uh, sardines. That's the dinner. So every month I got to put it together. Maybe I could make a business out of putting it together for other people. And maybe and that's the expensive part. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. uh, She buys a lot of the, you know, pre-made frozen patties. That's expensive. Yeah. So and I think it's just her life right now. She's got small kids, too. And it's, you know, Life's crazy and busy, so she's found cheaper ways to make it more sustainable, yeah. but she's hoping to do whole, whole prey model with the rabbits. Well, that's what I was wondering. Could you just give him a whole rabbit? I mean, that's everything. <laughs> I think my dog, because yep. <laughs> my dog will walk around the chickens outside. Like, they'll, like, he'll lay there and one walks by his face. I'm like, why are neither of you phased by this? He doesn't flinch. He, that's amazing. I'm like, that's what you eat. You eat that raw. Well, that's that's good because uh, having a dog that eats your chickens is no problem. I know. I'm sure working three days and doing the homeschool and running a household, you are overworked. Are your kids in sports or co-ops or anything like that? Um. So we don't do co-ops. Most of the time they end up falling on days I work, you know, midweek. Um, so we don't do those. My son and daughter play piano and they've been doing that for a few years. My daughter has, I got, found a lady that does some private art, art lessons um, a couple times a month. Uh, my son does jujitsu uh, down the road. He's a yellow belt now. Um, and fortunately, we've had a lot of kids move into our neighborhood recently. So I come home from work and there's like nine kids in my house. They all want to be here. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's pretty cool. And I I just have to be like, well, this is uh, this is what my kids need is, you know, friends in the neighborhood. And they just, I whenever they're all here, I just kick them outside and we have a pond. They go crawfishing and have all kinds of fun. Um, so that's kind of the extent of our socialization, but I think that's pretty like good. Takes up a good portion of our lives. Yeah, no, that sounds yeah. pretty good. More than I did as a kid. That's for sure. <laughs> Same here. I'm a like school was the extent of my social life and wasn't all it's cracked up to be, honestly. I don't think it was. And I've talked to people about this too. Like we have this vision in our heads of what school is supposed to be, but like, I don't think it was that way for any of us. And why do we think it's going to be that way for our kids? But I think it's like society or, you know, you watch shows or like whatever we see in social media. And it's all about like the homecoming dance, you know, the Friday night lights show with the, with the football games and, you know, the prom. And it's like, I think planning for the prom gave you something to look forward to. So in a way that was fun, but it was the planning. It was like, we got there. And I remember, you know, my, prom date uh was like outside taking a walk with the guys when like you know the the song came on that everyone's supposed to dance to or whatever it was like the you know theme of the prom song came on and I was all mad at him for that and your hair never comes out the way you want you whatever so it's like <laughs> it's this idea and it's the planning and the prepping with that brings the excitement more than the actual experience I think they say that about vacations too so it's like we'll just take a vacation go camping <laughs> Well, and my husband, I think he didn't want my kids to miss out on that high school experience because he loved high school. He's like, I would do it all over again. Me, on the other hand, from the time I got into junior high through high school, it was like the social aspect was the worst for me. I'm, you know, I wasn't necessarily picked on or bullied or anything, but it's just the outside pressures and then the pressures within, like it shapes and molds your personality when you're older and like, I carry a lot of awkwardness from that, you know, and as far as prom goes, I didn't go to my prom, but from what I remember, it's basically like, that's the night everybody loses their virginity, right? Like, do I really want my kids going through that? Not really. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't really think about it, but I had um, Anna on who is 17 and graduating. She's a homeschooled student. And she was like, I got invited to proms every year. She's, she didn't want to go, so she chose not to. But she's like, yeah, you can go to prom as a homeschooler. You just get invited by your friends or, yeah. you know, a guy or whatever. I'm like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Okay. And I suppose yeah. you could. we could go to the football games 
Like, you, you know, you know, people in the neighborhood. So if they're a public school kid or you just want to go to the football game, it's not like you have to be a student there to attend. So yeah, why couldn't you do that? And I think here where we are, the, the kids can do uh, public school sports starting in seventh grade. Okay. That's home. Yeah, we can't do um, that in New York. If I'm not mistaken, though, they have to follow the same vaccine schedule. Oh, interesting. And so I don't think we'll qualify. But um, that's something to look into because, you know, there are some benefits that all of our tax dollars go to the, the school system that would be kind of cool to take advantage right. of. Right whether it be Woodshop. I think they have a 4-H school or um, FFA through the high school here, Future Farmers of America, you know, so some kind of useful things. Yeah. Um, all things to look, look into later. Right. And that's kind of funny because I never thought about that either. Well, someone told me that, oh, if your son needs speech therapy, he you just call the school and a therapist will come to your house if you're a homeschooled student. And I'm like, really? How many other things are there that we would qualify for that I'm sure the school doesn't even know, you know, that, oh, no, a homeschooler right. in New York would. So that's, that is another thing about this podcast that I really like because I'm learning, you know, all this stuff that you, especially like college prep stuff, or like for scholarships. One woman told me, she was oh, we went to the school and made the guidance counselor give us the pamphlet or, you know, big folder of all the scholarships that were available. And I had my kid, you know, apply for all of them. Yeah, here, the the community college here um, started their own high school for like, I guess, kids that have more of a serious academic mind. I don't know a lot about it, but um, they go to high school at the college. Um, And then they also have a dual credit program where you can graduate high school and college at the same time. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I don't know a lot about it since my kids aren't that age, but I think you can take advantage of some of the programs and they're free. That's at cool. That Is there anything yeah. else that you wanted to like make sure that you touched base on? Um, I know one of your questions on there was, uh, what would I tell myself before? And mm-hmm. I had two answers to that. One would be my like high school early young self before I had kids. And, um, basically it would be that, you know, that I feel like they used to kind of talk down to women that wanted to stay home and women that wanted to run their household. That was seen as like, Oh, you're only a stay at home mom or you're only this. Like it was, it was a bad thing. And honestly, it's like, I tell my kids, I said, this is the most important job. Like women should feel honored that they're the ones that tend to take on that role is because what more important of a job is there uh, besides raising the next generation Yeah, and people that can think for themselves and all of that. So I would tell myself back then, keep that in mind because if I could set my life up any different today, it would be maybe that I could be home more because mm-hmm. I got bills to pay. So I still got to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess if I could go back two two and a half years ago, I would tell myself, uh, take it seriously. Like it's not something to take lightly, but don't take yourself so serious. I guess, you know, try to be more present. If today is a bad day, it doesn't mean tomorrow will be homeschooling's the long game. It's not the short game. It doesn't matter day by day. What matters is the end result. That's so true. And I love that, that you said that you tell your kids that that's important to tell your kids that to keep in mind that being the homemaker and raising children it is it is the most important job. And I was I fell victim of that mentality too that oh my gosh, what are you going to just stay at home and like you know, how fulfilling can that be? But again, I think that was society and school putting that into my head. It was like you're going to college. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. And like for what? For why? I went I went to an expensive school my freshman year and didn't know what I wanted to do. Any money my parents had saved for college, it all went to that first year. And then they were like, you got to take on the other three years. So it was like, all right, well, let's switch to state school. And I lived at home and waitressed on the nights and weekends, And um, which now I feel like <laughs> you can't even find kids that go to school and work. They're like, no, I, I don't work. I go to school. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's only a few hours during the day. Um, but I had that mentality that like, you know, your life isn't going to be fulfilled if you don't have a job. And I can say now after 15 years in a cubicle, (laughs) there is nothing fulfilling about it. 
There's nothing. I mean, there are these short-term things like, oh, okay, you feel accomplished for this little task that you finished or maybe this idea that you had. But it is literally nothing. And every job is different. I'm, I'm talking about, um, I, you know, I work in government work. There might be things that are fulfilling in areas, okay? But when you look at a big picture, there is not that much that's taking place that if you weren't there, wouldn't or couldn't get done. Like, does that make sense? Like, but at your home, take you out of the picture, things would still go. But look at your home, your children. If you weren't there, like, I can't even, I'm still nursing my baby. I can't even go take a shower without her, like, needing me. (laughs) And we find that annoying at times, but it is so beautiful that, like, you're needed that much. So, and then, and as my son, you know, he's four, going to be five. It's like having the conversations about life and, you know, things like that, making connections with him. And then the cooking, like, hello, this is what's feeding our children. We're putting this into their bodies to, you know, and when you, it's like, oh, we'll just give them, you know, McDonald's because you got to get them from school and you got to leave your job and you got to get them to practice and that you're giving them this crap. And then we wonder why they can't concentrate and we wonder why they're, you know, don't sleep well and they're not getting enough water. And it's like to be home and to see that, you know, when your kid needs a nutritious meal without all the toxins in it. And not that I, you know, really do that every time, but like, it's a goal (laughs) and I see the importance of it. And it totally is just lost in the education system. It's not, it's not there. I believe it's, you know, it's bigger than that. It's by design. I believe that the government has its hand in every facet of our lives. And that means getting our children, like you said, the nutrition, all of the chemicals that our food sprayed with the school system, you know, you control the minds of the young, the youth and you will rule the future. So yeah, the social media. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hollywood. All of the, we're just bombard every angle. Every kid's movie has some sort of bigger picture to it. When you think of it in those terms, it's actually uh, the reason I couldn't be on this interview till the time we scheduled it was because I was uh, signing a petition. New Mexico just passed legislation where in the public school system, without parental consent, kids can start transitioning their gender and pursuing abortions without any parental consent. And it passed. And does that even have an age or is it any age? I'm not sure on the age. The way that it was presented to me was that it was at any age. You know, I I would assume puberty enough. New York is trying to pass right now. It's um, it got passed through the first whatever. And, And again, this is me being ignorant and not learning all of the how bills get passed and that whole process. I never learned all that in school. If if they taught it, it was very briefly, but they didn't go down to the local levels. I guarantee right. that. Yeah. But I just saw that they're trying to pass where kids can get sexually transmitted preventative vaccines. So basically the HPV and the Hep B vaccines without parental consent. That's already passed. But without parental consent. I mean, yeah. what if there's a reason that I chose not to get that. Like, you know, I, I wish I hadn't gotten, I got that HPV crap vaccine. And it like, now that I know more about it, I'm like, that was bull. Like they totally lied. They tell you that it, Oh, do you want to cure cancer? You want to get cancer? If you want to cure for it, take this. So I'd imagine that's what they're telling the children. Do you want cancer? Your parents are just too ignorant to understand that. So be safe with us and get the vaccines and, you know, don't tell your parents and we won't either. It's creating this whole antitrust thing in the family. And for me, you know, like what if my kids don't want an STD, I'm going to teach them like, well, you don't go get a shot to prevent an STD. There's other choices Mm -hmm. in life you could make to Mm -hmm. not get think about your actions because there's repercussions. Exactly. It's a life. It's a license to do, you know, other, other things that I don't necessarily want my kids doing until they're ready. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure in New York, you can get abortions through Planned Parenthood without parental consent already Yeah, here. I mean, I, I feel like in high school people did. I don't think they called their parents. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, um, here it's the same and New Mexico's up to birth. What? Uh Uh-huh. I heard about that, um, 
I don't know what it is in New York, honestly, because I don't know what's true and what's not. And I haven't taken the time to look to it. I, I had heard that they were trying to make it like 30 days after birth was still considered an abortion. But I don't know if that's something that went through in California or they tried to do it in California and tried to in New York. But I, at some point I was like, this can't even be real. So I kind of just brushed it off. Yeah, I, but it's up to birth. Yeah. And I'm not, oh that God. was the last time I looked at it. So unless things have changed. Uh, but yeah, I, we have one of the laxest states. But well, I thank you for having you on today. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure learning all about New Mexico and your seasons and where you're located on the map and, and your time zones. And I learned that. that too. It's like, oh, we're two hours apart. We are two. There's Eastern, Central, Mountain, and Pacific, but there are two states in mountain time that don't observe daylight savings. I thought it was Arizona and Hawaii. But- that could be. Yeah. Okay, that could be. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for reaching out and for your part in ushering in a really fulfilled, wholesome next generation. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing. I've listened to all your episodes now. Oh, good. All right. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Have a great night. You too. listening to this week's episode of the homeschool how-to if you've enjoyed what you heard and you have the means please consider supporting the show by leaving a small tip to help cover the monthly fees of the recording platform editing software hosting membership and equipment even a dollar an episode goes a long way there's a link to support the show in my show's description that goes directly to my paypal and because i am fully aware that most homeschooling families are on one income i understand that not everyone has the means to contribute monetarily so if you feel compelled to support the show in another way Sharing it with a friend or a homeschool Facebook group is equally appreciated. I will leave a link to share in the show's description as well. Thank you for listening and for your love of the next generation.